Good morning. The reading today is uh, taken um, from Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out, my throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore? O God, you know my folly, the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. O Lord God of hosts, let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face, that I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O God, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, and my shame, and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart, so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation, let no one dwell in their tents. For they, per for they persecute him who you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. 
For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Good job, man. Thanks, Mike. Make it quite a job today. Thank you for that. You know, one of the key aspects of growing up is learning how to handle being attacked. So if you come this morning learning how to handle being physically attacked, all I can tell you is run as fast as you can or turn to the milk mouse Do you guys know what milk mouse is? The, 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 this is what I called it, where you squeeze the pinky like this. Little brothers, come see me uh, after service, and I will coach you on how to handle uh, your biggest foes with just their pinky. But, you know, what do you do about verbal attacks? What do you do when words are people's weapon of choice? For me, growing up, there were only two routes available. Some of you probably heard these. Route number one is a little subversive, kind of manipulative, but you say things like, well, I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and it'll stick to you. And uh, you find that that doesn't really work too well and they begin to compliment you and you realize all the compliments are bouncing off and then sticking back to them. So then you gotta turn to something else and you say something like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will what? How true is that? <laughs> it's not, is it? We run into a problem, don't we? What happens when words actually do cause harm to you? And I'm not just talking about emotional wounds, although those are very real, and you can be hurt by people emotionally. There are times when words can really injure people's lives. It usually starts out as meaningless gossip, maybe. Catches some steam and becomes a spreading rumor. And eventually ends up being a harmful, what the Bible calls, slander. Slander is when we cause injury to other people with the words that we say. Whether they hear them or not, it causes them hurt and harm. And this, as we've said, can be emotional hurt, can be relational hurt. There can be things like career opportunities lost because of what people say about you and how you handle that is vital. Because every person in this room will experience at some time or another somebody talking bad about you. Somebody saying something about you that you don't like. Something, somebody saying something about you that's not true that proves to be pretty hurtful. You know, Psalm 69 is David's most private thoughts in dealing with that situation when somebody is attacking him. You see, his threat in Psalm 69 is not a great army. It's not even an insurrection to his kingdom. There's nobody coming really after his throne in Psalm 69. What's happening in Psalm 69, as you see, he says, I believe in verses 12 and 13, that the most prominent, those who sit by the gate in the city, and the least of these, the riffraff, the drunkards, all of them from top to bottom, are mocking me, ridiculing me, slandering me. I've become a byword in their mouth. Even the drunkards are making songs about me and laughing about me. 
And David is torn to pieces. And what David does is he shows us in Psalm 69 a godly way to survive slander. You see, the world offers you some multiple different ways to handle slander, like sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt me. That's, that's a way. But you usually find that those two, um, the way the world kind of teaches you to handle slander sort of falls into two extreme categories. One side, you could be completely crushed, meaning what people think about you and what they say about you is what matters most to you. And so when you're crushed, then you've got to find ways to appease those who are talking about you. Maybe buddy up next to them or try to prove them wrong, but you're overwhelmed and you're crushed. Now, the other extreme is just to become incredibly cold and distant, to not care. Sort of like what Taylor Swift would tell us to do, shake it off, right? Shake it off, and then 150 more times, shake it off, shake it off. <laughs> like Taylor would get it, you know? <laughs> Imagine if Taylor was hanging around with David. He'd be like, you know, shake it off, David. I, I can't. Because we all know that actually doesn't really work. But what's the godly way to handle slander? Let's start, first of all, acknowledging what David tells us, that there is an experience with slander, or, or a challenge of slander, you might say, in the verse five verses. He says, first of all, that slander in verses one through three is unbearable. It can feel overwhelming. He says it's like there are waters up to my neck, and I'm drowning in mire, and I'm sinking. He says it's an unbearable experience. It's overwhelming. Emotionally, it's all around him. He can't escape this feeling of slander. And it's even physical, his overwhelming feeling. He says, my throat is parched from all the crying I'm doing, meaning I'm physically exhausted from working through thinking about how I'm a byword amongst all these people that are around me. It's wearing me out. And so slander is unbearable. Slander is unjust. Verse 4, he says, look in verse 4. He says, more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without a cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, who attack me with lies. And he asks rhetorically, do I have to repay for things that I have never stolen? You see, he's getting into the heart of what, the really what cuts into slander is that it's unjust. It's not right. It's unfair. And that's what's so frustrating about slander. You see, you and I can probably accept not getting a promotion or missing out on a relationship if it's something in the cards that we've been dealt, right? It's something that maybe we have in our control, but it becomes a really bitter pill to swallow when somebody outside of you, because of what they've said, which is not true, harms your life. And sometimes it's not just the loss, but it's the unfair loss that is so frustrating about slander. And so it's unjust. But you notice David doesn't just stop with um, this being overwhelming and unjust. He says it's also unsettling in verse 5. You see, these attacks have David so sensitive to his failings. You see, when you are under attack, Satan begins to pile on. And so when people are spreading lies about you and talking about you in ways that are untrue and unfair and unjust, all of a sudden we begin to wonder, well, you know, I am kind of bad. Maybe I do deserve this. And you begin to become so aware of all the ways that you fall short because people have been lying about you in all these different ways. And so it becomes unsettling to the soul. But David doesn't just stay in what his challenge or his experience is. He moves into the concern. 
And here is probably the tipping point, if you're going to like zero in for just a minute on this sermon. Here's the tipping point. What you're most concerned about when you experience slander. Let me show you what David's concerned about. In verse 6, he's concerned that other people will be misled in their pursuit of God. He says that he does, David is God's representation on earth. As God's king, he is the representation of God to the people on earth. And he's afraid, he's concerned that slander about him in the world and his nation will harm other people who look to David as an example of how to seek God. That these lies might distort their vision of what it looks like to pursue and serve and be under God's care. His fear is that those who currently trust God will be misled away from God because of lies about him. Secondly, he's concerned that he will be misunderstood. In verses 10 through 12, David says his practice of faith is being misunderstood by people around him, and they're beginning to mock him for it. He says, I repent, I'm in sackcloth, I'm in ashes, I'm fasting. And when people see me doing these things, they're mocking what I'm doing. See, David is practicing with great sincerity his faith, and people are looking at that and mocking. So his concern is, other people will be misled away from God, and I will be misunderstood in how to pursue God. And these two concerns are there because they are about the glory of God being distorted. This is the critical point, okay? You will never be able to handle slander in a godly way if your glory is all you're concerned about. If your name and your reputation is all you're concerned about, you will not handle slander in a godly, faithful way. You will do what the world says. You'll either be crushed, what people think about me is the only thing that matters and it's destroyed my life, or you'll be cold and Taylor will begin to counsel you and lead you in how to shake it off, right, and move on forward, and it won't ever make you the kind of person God wants you to be. You see, thirdly, David shows us how and what to cry about in our slander. So when you're concerned about the glory of God being understood and clearly demonstrated, and when people are slandering you, what you are worried and fearful of is that God's glory might be distorted. Here's how you cry in verse 13 through 18. He says, what we cry for is to be redeemed and ransomed. Look down in verse 17, I believe it is, maybe verse 18. Uh, verse 18, pardon me. He says, draw near to my soul, redeem me and ransom me because of my enemies. David's plea is for these two actions, redeem and ransom. And he's borrowing from language that is used in their culture at this time to be redeemed. It reminds you of the story of Ruth, where the next of kin in her, the closest to her, Boaz, the next of kin is going to make a purchase to buy her out of the slavery that she's in, this overwhelming slavery. And what David is crying out to God is saying, there's no one who knows me better. There's no closer kin to me than you, God. And I'm calling for you to redeem me and ransom me out of this suffering, this prison. You see, what David is crying for is a relief from the pain of slander. You see, David actually knows that you can't always stop the mouths of fools, but you can stop the hurt. 
How often, you all have seen this before, right? You played the telephone game, or maybe you've just experienced this in reality, where the moment something um, untrue gets out there, gets moving, man, how easy is it just to corral around that, you know, like an um, emergency squad and bring it all in and be like, hey, you 14 people have heard something untrue about me. I want to clear it up with just you 14 people, and it never spreads farther than that. That never happens, does it? Never does. And so David knows that you can't stop the mouths of fools. But you can stop the hurt that comes from slander. And so David says, would you please redeem me? Would you please ransom me? And in verses 14 and 15, he goes back to the words he uses in verses 1 through 3 when he says in verses 14 and 15, deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from the enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. What David is asking for is, God, would you pull me up out of the drowning self-pity that I'm in right now? Because that's really where we land in, when slander hits us. It's drowning in self-pity. And David says, pull me up out of the pain of this problem. And how's God going to do that? David asks him to use God's steadfast love and his abundant mercy. He says, your love is good. Your presence of your love is what gives me joy, not just the absence of slander, because you could live for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life, and you could never experience slander but not be satisfied or fulfilled. So the absence of slander is not the fullness of life. The presence of God's love is the fullness of life. And so David says, in the midst of this slander, when I'm being hurt and I'm struggling, God, would your love please show up because it's greater than any slander that could be thrown at me. And what you find out in David's cry is that others slandering you, listen up, it's not really about them. And in some ways, when you experience slander, it's a gracious act of God. Because what he's doing is bringing your fierce hold on your love of what other people think of you. And carefully, tenderly, yet painfully drawing you back to the only opinion that ever mattered. You see, slander sometimes shakes us, doesn't it? It rocks us. And we get so broken by it. And we're overwhelmed and we're drowning like David. We're saying, there's no foothold. I'm falling and sinking and I don't know how to get out of this. And God is saying, listen, the sinking's good because I want you to know that no arm other than mine can pull you out of this. And some of us in here love what people think of us more than we love what God thinks of us. And when you experience slander, God is graciously yet painfully waking you up to what other people think has no redeeming power. And if you're stuck in that prison, you for the rest of your life will be begging others to make you feel better about yourself. And God graciously lets you experience a moment of slander to say, come care what I think. And you'll never be shaken again. What's the conclusion of all this? It sort of ends weird. Like all the Psalms, have you gotten the pattern right? These Psalms are kind of weird. 19 through 28 gets really weird. There's a conclusion for three of us. Number one, for those experiencing slander, for the suffering. Verses 19 through 21, David summarizes this. He says in verse 19, God, you know my reproach, which has caused shame and dishonor. What he's saying, reproach 
is a word that they borrowed from farming, which is like harvesting. You know, picture um, someone harvesting in a field. What they're doing is they're going to that plant and they're attacking that plant and taking from that plant, right? Never really thought about it in violent terms, but that's kind of what it's like. It's, you know, a little rude to the plant, but we do it. And the word reproach is like that, where David says, I'm continually under people coming after me and ripping out of me. And what it's causing, David, is two problems, one internal, one external. Internal is the shame. He says, this reproach has caused me shame. Internally, I'm shaken. I don't know what I'm worth. I don't know why I'm here. He's struggling with that. And externally, he has dishonor. You see, David, David is in disgrace, both in public and in private. And he's suffering. He says, my heart is broken and I'm all alone. And he uses a metaphor in verse 21 to describe this. He says, they gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. I want you to recall in your mind what Brother Richard shared with you at the table about sour wine. Because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. He said, David, metaphorically speaking, these people that are hurting me, it's like they gave me poison to eat. And the sour wine to drink. We'll explain what sour wine is in just a moment. But he remembers. He says, God, you know both my experience and my enemies. You haven't left me alone. That's for the sufferer. That's the conclusion that you know you're not alone. But what about for the slanderers? Verses 22 through about 28 get really intense, really serious. David has a call for justice to these people that are speaking about him. He is calling for God to rise up and to judge these people and punish them in a righteous way. And there are two ways that you and I can make sense of that today. The first one is objective. Just thinking objectively. David is God's representative on earth. And not taking slander personal, but completely objective, he's saying, God, when people slander and trample... You're anointed. They deserve to be punished. Amen to that, right? Paul borrows this in Romans chapter 11 when he says those people, those Israelites who trample Jesus Christ underfoot, they will get what Psalm 69 says, punishment. Because when you trample God's anointed, there's judgment. But how many of you experience slander objectively? How many of you, when you go through slander, like, you know, objectively speaking, if they are actually speaking about the Christ that's in me right now, we don't, right? Personally, subjectively. We've got a problem with this text, subjectively. Because this call in verses 22 through 28 for justice and punishment to come on these people does not square with Jesus when he says that you are to love and to bless and do good and pray for your enemies. What are we supposed to make of that? How do we put these things together? You see, David had a zeal for justice, and it was right. It was good. But you and I stand at a different place in history than David. David lived in a time before the cross of Jesus Christ. And his call for justice upon those who are unrighteous is good and true and right. But you and I stand on the other side of the cross. And God, knowing God did answer David's call for justice. When David said, God, I want you to let their eyes be darkened. God, I want you to pour out your indignation. God, I want you to punish them with punishment upon punishment. We actually on this side of the cross can look back and know 
God answered David's call fully. To the extent of which David called for, God answered it. But he didn't answer it on those slanderers. He answered it on his son. That's where it came. You see, verse 24, 21, pardon me, where David said, they've given me poison like food and sour wine to drink was a metaphor for David, right? David really didn't get poisonous food and it, it was poetic. But there was a guy in history that that was not a poem for. That was real. Jesus was offered wine twice in his crucifixion. Do you know this? The first one was wine mixed with myrrh. Do you remember that? Mark 15, wine mixed with myrrh. And that was a gracious offering of wine. That was to numb the suffering. They would give this to those who were going to be crucified, wine mixed with myrrh, to dull them for the pain. The second was a sour wine, like a vinegar. And Jesus was on the cross, and in John 19, he cries out when it's almost over, I thirst. And sour wine was not used to dull pain. Sour wine was the most effective method to quench thirst and sustain life. You see, what David is saying is when they offered me sour wine is they wanted me to keep suffering. They were giving me wine that would quench my thirst and keep me going. And which wine did Jesus take on the cross? The one that numbed his pain or the one that awakened him to his pain? When he said, I thirst, they gave him not as a jeering, but a, some sour wine. And he took it, not in jest, but in suffering. And so how do we look at our enemies and seek to love them and bless them and do good to them and pray for them? What you have to do is remember the justice delivered by God, absorbed by Jesus, for every slandering person in this world. And guess who that includes? You. Do not exclude yourself from the company of sinners. Because you haven't just slandered people, you have slandered God. And there's one more conclusion when you understand this, that Jesus Christ absorbed the righteous judgment of your slander. He leads us to the seekers. The end of this passage, in verses about 29 on, you see David spills out into praise, and it's kind of strange, but he does. And when you understand the reality of Christ, that God delivered the punishment and Jesus absorbed it, you realize that this leads us to two things for seekers. Number one, it leads us to praise. Praise is the antidote for our self-absorption that overtakes us. Did you catch that? Praise is what pulls you out of self-obsession. Gratitude, honor, praise to somebody who's done good things for you brings you out of the self-absorption and bitterness that overwhelms you when you're slandered. And the result is God is honored and people are encouraged. We need to be people that praise when we realize what Jesus has done. And the second thing we do is we anticipate. You see, this last portion of praise in verses 34 through 36, David speaks not to his personal praise, but to a place. A Zion that God is going to rebuild, a new Jerusalem, a place where all the inhabitants will not be slanderers, but faithful servants, words of grace where righteousness dwells, both in us and in the world. So I want to call those of you that are in here. Maybe you're experiencing slander right now. Maybe this is coming in your life. Maybe it hasn't. Be prepared to handle and walk through slander in a godly way. Having the right understanding of the challenge that it's overwhelming, 
the right concern that it's about God's glory and not yours. Cry for the right things. And understand the right conclusion that even your slander put Jesus on the cross. And you can then have grace and mercy towards others. And so here's how I'd encourage you to pray. Father, when I experience slander, remind me to make my concern your glory, not mine. And lead me to the cross to find the comfort of your love and the compassion to love those who hurt me. And if you'll get that, you'll understand how to walk through life in a godly way. And you can't do this without Jesus Christ. And if you need him right now, more than ever, maybe you never become one with him, or maybe you have, but you're not really walking with him. You're walking in the wisdom of your own strength and power. The offer to be his and to walk with him is now. We can help you. Let's stand and sing.